If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to John 16. We're starting a two-week mini-series here on the Holy Spirit. Next week is actually Pentecost. But this first message here today is entitled, Born Again. And sometimes I don't know if we realize the miracle of salvation. You know, oftentimes we can pray for physical healing on something, and we can be blown away when somebody gets healed right before our eyes. But are we as blown away when somebody comes to know Jesus? Because there's an actual miracle taking place in somebody's heart. The Bible talks about how there's a heart of stone that's removed, and God gives us a heart of flesh, one that's responsive and now inclined to Him. And this miracle oftentimes is referred to as being born again. And we're going to break that down here. That's in John chapter 3, but we're going to start first here in John 16. So would you bow your heads and pray with me before we start to read from God's Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the ministry of your Spirit. And Lord, I'm trusting that you're at work here and now. We ask that your Spirit would settle our hearts to receive today. And I ask that your Spirit would help me to deliver this message that you've placed upon my heart to share. Guide us and lead us here today. May we draw closer to you. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 7. Jesus speaking to his disciples, letting him know that he's going to be leaving. He's going to be going away, and he tells them he's going to send them someone. That being, he's going to send them the Holy Spirit. And so let's kind of walk through this here, starting in verse 7. Jesus tells them, it is best for you, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate, or the Holy Spirit, won't come. And if I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So this first component here of this message on being born again, I want us to understand something that the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of an unbeliever. Someone who has yet to put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work in their life. They may not have Him living inside, but He is at work. And this verse highlights this. And we're looking here at verse 8 where it says He convicts the world of sin. And in our culture, when we think of conviction... Right, It might think like a courtroom setting. But I want you to think of this word conviction as this word convince. Because if you look at the language, that's actually what this means. So the Holy Spirit convinces people of sin, righteousness, 
and judgment. And then it even breaks this down in verses 9, 10, and 11. So what's the sin issue? When the Holy Spirit convinces us of sin, what's the sin issue? And verse 9 says that the sin issue is unbelief. So we live in sin because we lack belief in Christ, and the Spirit convinces us of our need for Christ. And so you can see, as an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit is already at work in our life because He's convincing us of our need for Jesus. Then once you receive Christ in your life, the Spirit of God convinces you of God's righteousness that now is available in your life because of the presence of Jesus. You're not right with God in your own power and strength. You need the covering of Jesus Christ. And that's what he brings. He brings a righteousness that's not of your own, but of him. And so the last thing is, he convinces of judgment. Now you might see that and think, that's kind of a scary thing, right? He, he's convicting me of judgment? But if you unpack this, you see that he's actually convincing me of the victory that has been won in Jesus Christ over Satan and the enemy of my soul. The Holy Spirit draws us in, convinces us of our right standing we have in Jesus Christ, because even after people are saved, they may go through seasons of doubt where they go, am I really saved? And the Holy Spirit will convince us that what Christ has done for you, it was enough. And you are saved. And not only are you saved, but I have victory over Satan and sin and death. So that's something the Holy Spirit is doing, and you see a key role here of the Holy Spirit in salvation. And I want us now to turn to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus has with somebody that I think the Spirit of God is causing him to lean in. His name is Nicodemus, and he was a religious leader. And the religious leaders weren't fans of Jesus, to put it lightly. But Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. There was something about Jesus. And you can see the Spirit of God drawing Nicodemus in to the point where he finds Jesus under cover of night and begins to have conversation with him. And I want to start here with verse 1, John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And then Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, asked Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus is thinking of things in terms on a fleshly level, not necessarily the spiritual level. And then Jesus breaks it down a little bit further. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can re reproduce only 
human life. Some translations say flesh gives birth to flesh. We're not talking about this, Nicodemus. We're talking about something in the spiritual realm. He says the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you cannot explain how people are born of the Spirit. To fully grasp the miracle that takes place when salvation comes into somebody's life, you cannot give it the full description. There's an element of this as Jesus is describing, just as wind. Right? You know it's there, but you still there's a component of this that's still hard to explain in the midst of all of that. Ezekiel 36 talks about this day when people's hearts can be changed, a replacement of heart, if you will. In Ezekiel 36, it talks about our filth being washed away and we're given a new heart and a new spirit is put within us. And the Scriptures say in verse 26, I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So the Spirit of God at work in the miracle of salvation. I just want to kind of park the car here for a second. And I've got several stories that I want to share with you guys that God has used in my life and in the ministry that I'm involved in that are specific to John chapter 3 and being born again. And I think oftentimes we don't realize the significance of salvation and what's going on in the spiritual realm. And I hope some of these stories will help us realize the miracle that's taking place. So my first story for you actually takes me up to Minnesota before I was in pastoral ministries. And I was at a ministry event, and I was helping out, and the main speaker that night gave a response for people to receive Christ in their life and to come forward if they wanted to receive Jesus. Now, as a volunteer, I was standing up there with several others, and as people came forward, you were just somebody that they could go to to then be able to pray with and then walk them through what this kind of decision means. And these two little boys, and I'm pretty sure they were brothers, they came forward and they stood in front of me, and we're getting ready to pray for them to receive Christ. Now, I'm not doing a whole lot of talking here. I'm just, they come forward, I'm excited for them, and we're about to pray for them to receive Christ. So then we begin to pray, and I'm standing with these two little boys. And as we're praying, all of a sudden, at the back of my head, I get hit with wind. And enough to make me stop praying, because I was like, what in the world was that? It was almost like somebody was right behind me, and they went, like right on the back of my neck. And I didn't hear anything like that. It just was the wind of that hit me in the back of my neck. And it stopped me to the point where I opened my eyes, and I'm like, who's behind me? And there was nobody. 
And it wasn't like uh, I'm under a fan or the, you know, an AC unit or I'm by a door that happened to be propped open. It was a moment there, though, that I knew there was something that just happened in the spiritual realm. And you talk about the Spirit of God moving like wind. And at this miracle of salvation, that's wind coming into somebody's life. I feel like the Lord allowed me to just kind of taste the spiritual realm just for a moment. These two young boys receiving Jesus into their life, they're being born again. The significance of this passage, being born again, and thinking about the need to be born again in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, there was an individual that was pressed upon my heart that was dying of cancer, and I I just felt the need to visit with this individual. And uh, I was in Fort Dodge. I had reached out to the family. The individual was kind of sleeping at that point, and I thought maybe there'd be an opportunity to go see them, and eventually the door did open up several hours later, and it was kind of on the spot, like, hey, if you're able to, come on over. And so I went. And I remember texting somebody in this church saying, I'm about to visit somebody that I don't know where they stand with Christ. And I need wisdom, I need the right words, I need God's help in being able to talk with this individual. And on my drive to this place, I felt like the Lord was just giving me John chapter 3. I want you to talk about what it means to be born again. And so I go in and I have this conversation with this man, and we're talking about a variety of things and and even heavy stuff in life. And in the midst of that conversation, there came a point where I just said, you know, I, I think it's important to ask this, but... Are you ready? Are you ready? And in somebody in his situation, that question hits home. Are you ready? You know, and it was kind of, uh, to a certain degree, not like a for sure answer. Like, oh, absolutely, Russ. You know, I came to know Christ three years ago or something like that. It wasn't anything like that. It was a very kind of wishy-washy, to a certain degree, like, I hope, I hope that I am, that kind of thing. But then he began to describe to me what he thought God was like. And he said, you know, Russ, it's almost like he's wind. And he comes and goes, and sometimes you don't always know that he's there. And I, I said, hey, I want to share a passage with you that I feel like the Lord wanted me to share with you today. And we begin to break down this passage of even Jesus describing the Holy Spirit like wind. Not necessarily being able to see it, but you know that He's there. And then we began to pray, and in the midst of that, I mean, it was clear that He was touched by God. He was very emotional. And not that emotions seal the deal, okay? Okay? but it seemed very genuine, his desire to encounter the Lord. I don't know if this man was saved years ago or if he was saved in that moment right there in his living room. But what I do know is that God used that passage to bring to him an assurance of where he was going to be when he took his final breath. 
another situation involving John chapter 3. I was in Des Moines, and there's somebody that's not really in our church, but connected to our church. And I've heard of them being in the hospital, and Brady and I, I think we were down in Des Moines, and I said, I feel like I need to go see this individual. They don't know me. Which, to some degree, maybe would work to my advantage. Ultimately, we want to make sure they know Christ, right? And so I find out which room, and I head in there, I knock on the door, they don't know me, right? And I sort of make an introduction of how we might be connected, and, you know, I just said, I'm here to just encourage you, you know, read some scripture and pray, and they invited me in. The nurses left the room, and it was just he and I, a guy I'd never met before. And we just talked some life. And it led to this John chapter 3 moment where it's like, do you really know where you're going? Because Jesus says, to enter into my kingdom, you need to be born again. And there we prayed with each other. And it's not like the hospital window blew open and wind came flying in there, but I trust that in the spiritual realm, God's doing a miracle. Just like Jesus is describing to Nicodemus. And the last story also encounters an individual that really wasn't connected to our church. But a friend of mine, I found out, had cancer. And it was um, not a very good prognosis. And they didn't know how much longer they were going to have. And this burdened me because I did not know where that individual would spend eternity. There were some questions about that. And so I'm feeling like I need to go visit this individual. But will they be receptive? I don't know. Could get kind of awkward, right? So I reach out to the individual through a text message, and I said, hey, I, I heard about your circumstance, and I'm really sorry, and I asked if he would be open to a visit. And he said, absolutely. So I'm thinking, all right, Lord, you're propping the door open. Let's go. And so I show up at his door with my Bible in my hand. And he looks at me and down at the Bible and then back up at me again like he's sizing me up or something. And I'm wondering, how is he going to receive this? I don't know. But we're just going to step in here and see what God does. And so we sit together in his living room, and we talk about life, we talk about his circumstance, and I'm just asking God to just somehow open the door here so we can start talking about the serious spiritual things. Just waiting for that door to crack open. And eventually, he asks me, if I was one of your parishioners, what would you be saying to me right now? And it's like, you know, the Spirit of God, when He tells you it's time to, to minister, He is at work. You don't have to force it, so to speak. You're just there being faithful with the moment. And in the midst of that, I said, well, I would want to make sure that you knew where you were going. And so then we began to unpack this. 
And if you thought I was crazy with the whole wind hitting me in the back of the head, I've got a little story for you. If you're a guest with us today, please stick around, hang with us. But in, in all genuineness, I, when we were praying specifically regarding being born again, and I walked him through that passage, I felt as if when we were praying that the Lord took me from where I was at and put me in an aerial view of what was going on in the living room. Whether that was a vision or if that was just my mind kind of processing the miracle that was taking place, but it was like I was able to have a perspective of what is going on right now in the spiritual realm as this man receives the Spirit of God. And I walk away from that and I'm thinking, was that real? Was that genuine? Did he actually receive Christ into his life? And if you knew the individual, they had a bit of way with their words, not in a good way. And I'm thinking this individual had given me permission to continue to meet with them and basically walk them to the end. And one thing I was thinking is, I wonder how this individual's language is going to uh, develop here over the course of, of this. And, and honestly, my thought was this. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit just take care of that. And this individual, we would meet on a fairly consistent basis. And that language thing was gone. Now, was it totally perfect? I don't know. I mean, and then you got the whole pastor effect. Okay, sometimes people act different in front of me when they find out that I'm a pastor. But I felt this guy was genuine. And when we would meet, we'd meet over lunch, and I'd end lunch. I'd say, hey, can I pray with you? And at first it was a little bit like, whoa, we're going to do this in, in here, you know? Like, is that okay? I don't know. And it was neat. Over time... I think he got more and more comfortable with it. Even to the point that our final lunch together, I said, I'd really like to pray with you. And he said, you know what, that'd be good. And actually, I want to pray for you too. Now to me, God changed this guy's heart. That wasn't something Russell did, that was something the Spirit of God did. And you see the Spirit transform people's lives. He's active in salvation. Once you're saved, you have the presence of Christ in your life. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live in you when you're saved. And so I want to draw that out with just a few passages here. The Spirit lives in believers. Scripture plainly tells us that. Those Scriptures you see on the screen. You can write them down, but I'm going to walk through them very quickly here. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? The Spirit of God lives in you. Ephesians 1, 13. It says, When you believed in Christ, he identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit. And lastly, in Romans 8, verse 2, and then also in verse 9, it says, Because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
than in verse 9. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So the miracle takes place. Now the Spirit is in you. The same Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation is now taking up residence in your life. That's that's a pretty big miracle. That's a significant thing. And the Holy Spirit in the Greek, the word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos. And it literally means one who is called alongside to help. So sometimes in the Scriptures you'll see the Spirit translated with one of these names. He might be the Helper. He might be the Encourager or the Comforter or the Counselor. Another one is the Advocate. And now I want to emphasize to us the Scriptures that show us that the Spirit of God is our Advocate. Okay, in John 14, verses 16 through 17, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and He will give you another Advocate. How many of you have ever heard that Jesus is our Advocate? Okay, guess what? You've got Jesus, but He says, I'm also going to send you another Advocate. And it says, He'll never leave you. And He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So we know He's the Advocate. Back into John 16, verses 13 through 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He's heard. Tell you what He's heard from the throne. The Spirit of God speaks to us in those ways. When I'm driving down the road and God is saying, I want you to go to this man's house, I'm getting a message from the Holy Spirit. He's communicating. And He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. If you've ever been in a situation where you're talking with somebody and go, Lord, you got to give me the words here. I don't know what to say. You're looking at a verse like that where you can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give you what you need in those moments. And then lastly, in Romans 8, 26-27, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Have you ever been in a moment where you're like, I know I need to pray, but I just, I'm going through something right now, I don't even just know what to pray. I just know I need God's help. Well, this verse says, the Holy Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us. For us. Verse 27, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So, the Spirit brings salvation into somebody's life. He then takes up residence in somebody's life. And I want you to think about this line of communication that we have up to the throne room. The Spirit speaks things down to us from the throne room. And I want to tell you something. One of the sure ways to hear from God is the inspired Word of God in the Scriptures. But I also believe there's moments where the Spirit gives us something very specific. 
and He leads us. He speaks to us in those moments. But in the midst of that, when you're trying to pray things, the Spirit intercedes on your behalf. Isn't that good to know? I mean, I could be praying something that I think is the right thing to be praying for, and it could be dead wrong. But I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. You see his involvement in the midst of that. Jesus is that helper or that intercessor in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And there's a point in history where he's going to stand up and he's going to come right back down to this earth. In the meantime, the Holy Spirit is our helper or our intercessor for us here on earth. Bringing things, if you will, up to the throne room. And Jesus is constantly with us through the presence of the Spirit of God. Some verses actually would call the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. So if you have the Spirit in your life, you have Christ in your life through the presence of the Spirit. So this is, if you will, the part one to this two-week series. And I want to end it with just a little bit of an illustration to understand the miracle and that convincing where the Holy Spirit is bringing you to Jesus. And I actually need to do this with just a few volunteers. Okay, I have a, a great front row group here. You sit in the front row, it means you want to volunteer. I think that's a rule, right? So, could I get three of you to come up here? Okay? You guys rock, paper, scissors that thing out and come on up. Okay, all right. One of you, if you could, stand here. And then one right here in the middle. And then another one right here. Now, I'll just be clear. The gender of the Trinity is male. Okay? But they're going to represent the Trinity, okay? We're not getting all twisted on that, but I want to be clear. The gender of the Trinity is male. Father, Son, and then the Holy Spirit, many times in Scripture, is referred to as a He. Okay? So just, we'll lay that groundwork, but they're going to help illustrate this. So imagine that Hannah is the Father. Okay? Representing the Father. Shani here is Jesus. Okay? And Jesus even said in John 14, He goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus made that exclusive claim. The only way you can get to the Father is through me. Our world says you can get to the Father in a hundred million different ways. Believe what you want. It's all the same, right? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it's through me that you get access. And not just through me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. So Shaney is representing Jesus. And over here, Hattie's representing the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit Okay? And he even talks about some of the things the Spirit's going to be doing. He's convincing people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin being their unbelief. So, I'm going to have Deanne be this next example. You don't have to come up yet, okay? Let's just say Deanne is a friend of mine. 
okay? We're acquainted, we have a relationship that, uh, you know, every now and then we can talk or whatever, and she, though, she does not yet have a relationship with Christ. In real life, she does, but for this example, let's just say she doesn't, okay? Whose job is it to convince her of her need for Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit's. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And so I want us to think about this. When it comes to praying for people that are in your life that don't yet know Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray specifically that God's Spirit would convince them of their need for Jesus. And that God would work in their heart, in their life, drawing them. So, if you just imagine, if I was praying for Deanne and I just asked, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin to draw Deanne to Christ. Would you work in her heart and her life? Would you bring her to a point where she's like, I need Jesus in my life. And just keep drawing her in. I'll share some scriptures that I know you've inspired, Holy Spirit. And here she is, and there's an encounter. Hey, look at that, like a whole team powwow there, right? So the Spirit draws people and realizes their need for Christ. And as they receive Jesus in their life, they now have access to the Father. Okay? No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. But there's a miracle that happens here, and this actually will set up our message for next week. When the Spirit of God brings us to Jesus and we say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God baptizes us in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12 says we're all baptized by one Spirit into the body. And so the Spirit baptizes us in Jesus and we experience this miracle of salvation, this miracle of being born again. Thank you, ladies, for helping me out with that illustration. Appreciate it. I hope this guides us and how to pray for people. We're asking the Spirit of God to be at work in hearts and to know that He is actively involved in the hearts of unbelievers. By His grace, He's drawing us in. By His grace, you're saved yourself. It's not something you did. It's something that God did. And so let's pray that God would work in the hearts of the people around us. And the last thing I'll say is this. If you're listening right now and you've not experienced this miracle of being born again, I'm just going to ask you to open your heart and receive Christ. Perhaps the Spirit is bringing you to a point right now and He's convincing you of your need for Jesus. I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Christ. Receive this miracle of a new heart with Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me at this time? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of salvation. Let us not take that lightly. That if we ourselves have received that at some point, 
Let us be thankful that your grace encountered us in a way that you've convinced us, you've drawn us to Jesus, and you changed our life. Help us to be people that pray for those who don't yet know you. The greatest mission in life is to help people come to know Christ. And I pray one of the ways that we would be involved in that work is in prayer. And Lord, we ask that you touch the hearts of people that, that are maybe on our heart right now. I pray that your spirit would just grab a hold of their heart and draw them in into a saving relationship with Jesus. And if there's someone listening right now that you can't think of a moment in your life when you became born again and you received this salvation that we talked about today, and I want to lead you right now in this prayer to receive Jesus. Just pray with me right now in your heart as I lead you. Say, Lord Jesus, today I come to you in need of a Savior. And I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin. Help me to be born again. I receive you and your spirit into my life. I receive this miracle of salvation. By grace, through faith. You've given me a new heart. Now help me to live for you. And I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.